guys and welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number 39. Uh, so guys, thank you very much for tuning in for another episode. The support on these recently has been awesome and I'm very much looking forward to bringing you today's episode with uh, a special guest, Paul Ravela. So today we have got Paul joining us to discuss uh, primarily getting into the coaching industry and coaching physique athletes. Now, Paul is the owner of ProPhysique.com, uh, which primarily work mostly with physique athletes, um, but I believe that Paul's got experience with working with a wide range of both general population clients, male and female, all across the board, and uh, you know, several years in the industry. Paul himself is a competitive natural bodybuilder, actually a pro natural bodybuilder. Uh, he earned his pro card in <laughs> and his pro card in 2009, uh, which was actually his second show, uh, which is really really interesting and inspiring for me. I think he won his uh, novice show first off, and then and then came back and, and won his pro card in the second show. So uh, amazing physique. Also, uh, you can you know just type his name into into Google and see his physique, which is really outstanding. I think later on into uh, his training career, he's now competed in physique and yeah. um, has sort of taken up uh, that as a competitive endeavor. But now definitely like, uh, I, you know, I talked about Paul, I posted up in my, my small Facebook group that I got you coming on and, you know, a lot, a lot of people know who you are and, and love your stuff and specifically, you know, uh, what stands out to me is, is how and what, why I wanted you to come on today is how you've advanced as a coach and how sure. your content has advanced as a coach because obviously, you know, you've been in this industry for so long. It's it's incredible to see how people who have been in the industry since like you know close to the start when like Lane was coming up, etc., and now yeah. how those people are adapting to what the industry is like today and what, especially our subculture of bodybuilders slash YouTubers slash social media influencers have all sort of come together as. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm super excited to have you, Paul and uh yeah how are you how are you doing are you all good it's awesome today is uh what wednesday morning and um you know we're just grinding through each day right now with um lots to do so friday i'm leaving for austin texas to go hang out with nick bear um if you guys aren't following him he's a fantastic youtuber he's kind of documenting his journey in the process of building a supplement company a gym and then the week after that, I'm going to Chicago for some of my clients are competing at a national show here in the NPC. So, yeah, I mean, it's um, for me right now, it's all about just doing the next thing, just continuing to add and build and not being um, complacent and doing more and doing it better. And, um, you know, being a better coach, being a better friend, being a better father, just all around all the stuff, doing it all the time. Yeah, no, amazing. No, it's, it's totally evident to see like in your work you put in so much effort and you know hence why i reached out to you it's just i i love i love watching people put in effort like the daily uploads is awesome on your channel and and you know first off if anyone's already not following paul's youtube like you must um and i'll make sure to link everything below with regards to that but let's get into the topic of today so we're going to talk all about coaching so it makes sense that we start off at the start and sort of ask you paul how did you get into coaching and describe the, the path that it took you to obviously go from potentially whatever that job you had before coaching to eventually yeah. building pro physique and, and turning it into what it is today. Yeah. So I'll start by saying that none of that was ever a plan there. When I started being a competitive bodybuilder, there was no coaching business there, I'd never heard of it. I went to college before, like I'm going to date myself, but I graduated college in 97. So I, I basically was graduating college before we even used computers. I mean, there was a computer lab at the, at the school, but it wasn't like you used it. So yeah, it, it, it was never a job. Like I, I, you know, I never thought, oh, I want to be a coach. I literally just enjoyed bodybuilding to the point where I was always looking for information. I can show you stacks. I have over 200 magazines um, that I've never thrown away. So it's just always been something that I've been obsessed with um, for better or worse. Mm. And then about... 90 I want to say when I was about what year did I find Lane I want to say it was maybe 2006 2007 I found a on bodybuilding.com which was at the time like the first place I knew of that you could go and kind of 
collaborate with people that were interested in bodybuilding. They had the bodybuilding message board forums. They're still around, but they're just not as necessary as they used to be. There was no Facebook at this time again. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so I started watching a video series called Life of a Natural Pro, mm -hmm. um, and the videos are still up, and you can watch Lane as he trains Tommy Jeffers for his pro card. If you haven't watched that, I mean, I still watch it during contest prep. Yeah, it's that. just the best video <laughs> series. I mean, I still, like I said, I still watch them when I'm dieting. It's just, it helps me get through cardio and stuff. So yeah, after watching that video series, it kind of changed my perspective of bodybuilding. Instead of assuming that it was all Jay Cutler and Phil Heath walking around, I actually started going to shows. And I started seeing physiques that I was like, oh, th these are these are attainable. These aren't superhuman freaks. These are normal people that just get in really good shape. And I was more impressed by the guys that were not necessarily genetic freaks that were just completely shredded. Um, and that was when I decided to reach out to Lane. And I reached out to Lane in 2007 and said, hey, man, I want to do a show next year. And I already had it in mind. And uh, he said, great, let's do that. And uh, we started a reverse diet kind of building phase, which I didn't know it. There was no such thing as reverse diet at that time, but you know, he definitely put me on like a building phase. And then um, 2008, we dieted for the show, and uh, of course, along the way, we became friends because we had a common bond, a common interest, and that was basically understanding the science and um, approach to bodybuilding that he was taking at that time was kind of unheard of. Mm. Um, everyone in my gym, all the people that I was had around me that were doing shows were like, what are you doing? You can't eat that food. You you shouldn't be having sodium. You should be doing, you know, more steady state cardio fast and stuff. Stuff that Lane was talking about 10, 12 years ago that is now kind of common. Mm. So I was always very interested and I would always ask him questions. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And he would send me research articles and I would ask him another question. So the way I kind of got into coaching was through I, I guess interacting with Lane, and then he later moved to Tampa. I, I went up to the Arnold and met him. Him, his wife and my wife hit it off, and then we ended up having dinner a couple times. They came to Tampa looking for a house. We helped them find a house, stuff like that. We became friends, and after a while, this was about the time where Lane's business went through that period of um, growth, where he couldn't even—he literally was afraid to put out a video because he was getting, you know, at one point he told me 50 client requests per day. Wow. Like, I don't know Jesus if Christ. you know what it likes to get 50 emails a day for coaching because, you know, as, as a coach, I feel obligated to talk to every one of these people. And he had the same thing. And he kept saying, hey, Paul, you should be a coach. And I thought, I, there's, no, there's no way. I loved my career. I was in IT. I was getting certified with Microsoft, Cisco. You know, I had been in my career for 10 years. I had I'd climbed the corporate ladder. I was on my way to, you know, being a CIO, wow. um, which was my dream job, um, yep. you know, and at one point, he came to me and said, hey, there's this kid who's gotten ripped off by an NPC coach. He gave the, the kid gave him some money, gave him a cookie cutter plan. The kid was wise enough to understand that he was given a plan that wasn't specific to him. Mm -hmm. Called the guy up and said, hey, you know, I just want to ask you about this plan. I, I feel like it doesn't represent what I, my goals are. And, and, and the, the guy basically got on the phone and said, let me speak to your mother. Told his mother, your son's a loser. Uh, he's fired and I'm keeping your money. Jesus. Yeah, so when Lane told me that story, I thought, well, yeah, I'll coach him because Lane can't and he's got no option. And, you know, I felt like it would be a nice thing to do. And there was no pressure on me because at this point, the kid's just looking for help. So I, I prepped him. He did two shows. I think he won a teen class and a novice class. Um, his name's Josh Dudek. Still good friends with him. Um, and so, yeah, at the end of that prep, he came up to me at the show. I went to his show in Ormond Beach, Florida. His mom came up to me, thanked me. Um, he gave me a card, um, and I prepped him for free, but he gave me a couple hundred dollars in the card. And, um, I, I remember looking at my wife in the car ride home cause they'd given me the card and I didn't open it till later. And when I opened it, I thought, wow, there's like $300 in here. And she's like, start a business. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, put that money into like starting a coaching business. She's like, you obviously like this feeling. Maybe this is something you'd want to pursue. And I was like, you know, I never thought of it from that perspective. Yeah. I never thought that it would, I would be, I would enjoy it from the perspective of helping someone. Mm -hmm. and that was it. You know, I, I, I bought the name Pro Physique, had to haggle with the guy online for ProPhysique.com, mm. but that was it. Just, um, you know, spent the next few months and years kind of adapting. And once you start changing the mindset from you want to be a coach, you start changing your behaviors to reflect that of a coach. And, um, yeah, and then from there, I, you know, I, luck definitely plays a role. Um, I've been very fortunate in my associations, but I also – have always gone out of my way, out of my comfort zone to put myself in position to 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 learn and to know the people that um, hold the keys to what I wanted to do. Sure, sure. I mean, that's an amazing story. I think that, 
the, the, the most important part of that story that I took away from that, that I think that other coaches can take away as well, is the fact that you actually quite naturally got into coaching and found it as a result of a passion as opposed to finding it as a result of thinking that this is going to be something that just provides a monetary value. And, you know, it was only after you did it that you realised that there was potentially monetary value behind it, which I think is, in today's day and age, perhaps the thing that goes wrong with some coaches is that the pure driver is monetary value and money as opposed to... I really love bodybuilding and I really love coaching people. Now let's see if I can make some money. So I think I think the way that you got into it is so ethical and, and awesome in the, in the way that, you know, you were just passionate about it um, and you met someone that was passionate about it as well and that you could coach through the process. Um, and, th- and that brings me on to sort of the same thing. Like, you know, you were high up in IT and I think this is a general worry with other people as well is did you keep your IT job for a while as you built up your pro physique business? And, and how did that look over the course of time? Yeah, so there's a very fortunate thing when you work in IT. So at the time I was a systems administrator, network administrator, desktop support, I kind of ran the whole department for my company. So I had my own office okay. and IT for the most part is a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of, a lot of setup work, you know, and a lot of like daily tasks where I help people but it also was a lot of time sitting at a desk. And so I became known as a guy who replied to emails very quickly. You know, if someone emailed me, I was emailing them back right away. And it was because I would literally be at my desk every day at 7 a.m. till 5 p.m. And if I'm working on something, I had two monitors. I set up a second monitor in my office just for pro physique emails, you know? And so even though I only had four or five clients the first year, like they got a response right away. And so I think, um, yeah. And then eventually what happened was I remember the first month that my PayPal income surpassed my salary. And I thought, wow, what the heck's going on? I, you know, and I always, I'm very pragmatic. I always would say, well, that's just one month. That is what I would consider an anomaly. Sure. But there was definitely a trend over time. And mm. so I probably would have kept my job even longer had my wife not gotten a job opportunity. So she worked for Chase, which is, you know, obviously a huge bank. They offered her a job promotion from a branch manager of a single branch to a regional manager of like 13 branches. So she was gonna be getting a a raise and the opportunity to move up in the company, but it required we move from Orlando, Florida to Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. About two hours, and I couldn't commute two hours. Mm -hmm. And at at the same time, my, my coaching business was at that breaking point. Like I was actually earning a little more than my, my job, so I thought, and, and, and at that time in, in IT, to be fair, like I was getting heavily recruited. I had had three or four job interviews with other companies. So I felt like, okay, if I go do this coaching thing and it fails, I'm going to be able to get another job. Yeah. I, you know, at that point I had completed a master's degree. Um, you know, I had plenty of certifications. I had 10 years experience. So I had some things in my pocket, like let's do this. So oddly enough, what happened was as soon as I went to quit the job, we moved to Jacksonville. I, Again, my priority became my business because now I was really interested in succeeding. Um, The first thing I started doing was going to more shows, attending more events, Mm -hmm. being around my clients more. And so my coaching business doubled within a few months. Yeah, yeah, so it just just actually, the time, freeing myself up actually allowed it to to really grow at that point. Because I was no longer a guy who coached, I was now a coach. So I think that, that changed people's perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, you know, a lot of people will will think that it's quite an easy process just to sort of build up a client base and get straight to the to the big money or, or earning enough at least to tick over. And especially yourself with a family to look after and, and bills to pay, you're in a position where, you know, you had to essentially take a little bit of a risk to, to leave the job that you did have and the security there. And I think that a lot of older coaches could potentially resonate with that, whether they're moving into you know, PT or online coaching, it's all about building a client base. And that sort of nicely brings me on to my next question in regards to building up a client base. Um, how did you do that? Because obviously, you know, you, you had that one client, the young guy, and yep. obviously built up from there. And, you know, potentially you had some, some you were in a good position with regards to your friends and your, your, net, and your networking abilities. But how did you build up clients from there and, and, and how did it sort of build into a point where you had enough to sort of 
really sort of surpassed the, the level of income that you were getting from IT? Yeah, so I think the biggest, the, the most consistent way I grew was referrals from my clients. Mm, yep. So, for example, like Josh Dudek. Over the next two or three years, he probably referred 10 people to me. You know, I can't say if all 10 signed up, I don't remember, but I, I would get an email like Josh sent me because what happens when someone goes through an extreme change, and, and you'll know this, like when you're in the gym and you see somebody who's been the same weight or look for five or 10 years and they suddenly drop 20 pounds of body fat into a bodybuilding show and they're wearing tank tops and their veins are popping out, yeah. immediately people start going, what are you doing? What's, what's different? Yeah, oh, I'm sure. working with this coach. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, and I think early on I was getting like, you know, I would sign someone up and then their sister would sign up and then their mother would sign up and then, you know, then somebody from the gym would get them. I remember at one point I, you know, I had three firefighters from the same, you know, station sign up. I had, you know, in succession, I had one sign up, then another guy saw his thing and another, you know, so it's like, it's kind of built up basically through word of mouth. And then again with Lane, like, don't underestimate how big he was at this point. Like, he was literally the biggest coach in the world. And, you know, he wouldn't, he wasn't taking on any clients at this point. He was basically full, maybe adding one or two clients a month, if that, based on attrition. Okay. And so, yeah, I would get, you know, I was probably getting, you know, 60, 70% of my business at that point from Lane. Wow. Just, you know, basically, if Lane said, hey, I trust this coach, people were like, take my money, we'll figure it out. It was, Versus if someone found me, they would be like, well, how does this online coaching thing work? I'm not really sure about it because this was in the earlier you know, days. So it definitely was like massaging it. I had to learn the business. You know, I, I wasn't as um, well developed as I am now. All my work was through like Yahoo Mail versus I didn't own my own domain. I didn't have a website. It was, you know, th there was all these little things that I wasn't doing that I've since transitioned into that kind of make my business seem more legitimate. So at that time, it was more like, who's this guy? But also the bodybuilding boards, you know, I was still on there posting pictures, posting my, um, you know, my journey. A lot of people worked with me because they wanted to do uh, natural bodybuilding shows. And they, you know, when you see someone go through it, you feel a little more confident in working with them. Sure. So, you know, people could relate to me. I, I think I was pretty open with, with um, people on message boards and Facebook and whatever it was. So, yeah, I think the business kind of grew organically um, through those means. And then... You know, then once you start going in public and being at shows and talking to people, it's it's a weird thing. I would go to like the Olympia and be like, oh, I just want to go to the Olympia for fun. And I would come home and over the next week or months, I would get, you know, lots of client requests from people I had met or spoke to at the Olympia. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily like a plan like this is how I'm going to market my business. I was just literally going to do things and seeing the response. So, yeah, it, I, I don't I don't underestimate the power of, you know. I'm almost like I don't like the term online coach anymore. I'm a coach yeah, 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 who yeah. prefers electronic um, exchange of information, yeah. but I prefer to be as in person as possible. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, the, the best thing in terms of growing a, uh, a business where you're gaining clients is to have that referral network and to have that trust and you know social proof is is going to be the the biggest thing that's potentially driving people towards you and and just getting people's trust in terms of okay that that coach has not only got good results and that they're visible and that you know i see the instagram posts and he's changed from a to b but also you know it tends to be like friends who will tell friends and then once yeah. those because those two friends have that like trust and bonds they know that okay right like paul paul is really really good because i can trust like adam that told me that paul's good um so yeah i think i i totally agree with that and i think that with when it, when i look at how i've gained clients like the, the the best clients that i've ever gained or the ones that like i really enjoy working with and that work similarly to other really good clients are the ones that have just filtered through this like chain of like client yeah. after client after client as opposed to sort of the newer ones that don't perhaps like you said know me as well and they sort of have to find out a little bit more get to know me a little bit more and, and sort of yeah. wiggle through the wiggle through it a little bit uh, differently so an interesting question here now like obviously you've been in coaching for a long period of time and the idea of gaining clients through referrals is obviously still similar, but how has the advancement of 
social media and, and getting clients. So the, the way that clients come in, because obviously in the past, you'll have just had email and that's it. How yeah. do clients come in now and, and how do you deal with that? So with all these social medias, like how do you deal with clients coming from different areas and, and where are they mostly coming from at the moment? Yeah, so the social media aspect of my business is something that has completely changed in the last year. Um, so, you know, I was getting a ton of business from Lane at one point, but when that stopped, I had to kind of go, okay, well, what am I going to do? And one thing Lane has always been great about, and, you know, I think he was probably a pioneer in this area, is putting information out for free. Yeah. He's always giving away information, just giving it away to the point where you go, he's giving away so much information. Like, he could be making a lot more money off that, but it also fueled his business because, you know, one thing I've learned is if you give away information for free, people want you to tell them that information. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird like paradigm. You, you're telling people, this is how peak week works. And they go, I want to hire you for peak week, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, I'm the same way as, as a competitor, I'm going to work with a coach because, you know, I like that being taken over. I tried prepping myself in 2012, didn't like it. I'm going to work with a coach next year. So sure. for me, the social media thing, um, you know, I wanted to be authentic. I really, really try to avoid doing any of the stuff that I see that I don't like, you know, like uh, clickbait or um, false titles or, you know, shirtly, shirtless selfies and stuff like that. And, you know, I'll do some stuff like that occasionally, but I, I try to make it or, you know, I don't, I don't think about it. It's just if it's maybe something that happens naturally. So I have found that through that giving out information and being authentic, I've been able to grow very organically on social media. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's through my followers sharing my information or other people tagging me and things like check out, you know, Paul Ravella's this or that. Sure. And so I only get the majority of my clientele now coming in from Instagram and YouTube. Those are the two that I enjoy. The, and, and of course, I'm probably missing the bucket on Facebook. Uh, you know, everyone is uh, crushing Facebook these days. But one thing I've never done, I've never paid for an advertisement for my coaching. I've never advertised my coaching. I don't advertise my coaching. I don't feel like that's something I need to do at this point. Um, the only thing I'm trying to grow is my brand awareness of who I am, you know, so that I can do better for my sponsors, better for uh, my bodybuilding show that I promote. So I'm trying to grow that way. Sure. And growing my brand has allowed me to, um, you know, increase my coaching output. I, I definitely get more client requests than ever. And, um, you know, so in the two things that I enjoy are Instagram and Facebook. I like the, uh, I like Instagram for its, you know, it's instant long form posts that I like to put up and YouTube. I like to story tell. I really am enjoying, um, it was weird to put myself out there. Like who's going to want to watch an old bodybuilder type stuff. But once I started kind of answering client questions on YouTube format, I found that I got a really good response. Like, yeah. do more. These are great. And and so I've just kind of taken it from there. And as you know, I've hired Chad to do like a – because the, the one thing as a coach, I want to remain a coach. I don't want to become a YouTuber. I don't want to become a social media person. Mm. So the thing I was struggling with was how much effort do I put into my social media if my coaching business is really busy? Sure. Well, step in Chad, I no longer have to – record, edit, do all this stuff on a daily basis, at least while he's here. And so the experiment has been um, basically just that, just like what's the value in it for me to continue to grow? And the, the, if, if the last two weeks have been any indicator, it's going to be very tough to ever let him go. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. I think, you know, expanding out and, and getting people on board that are just going to do the tasks that potentially well, you know, you can do well and you can do effectively, but it, it takes you away from why you started it. And you know, yeah. I think I think I see that quite prevalently in people that decide to open their own gyms. And I don't know if that's something that you've ever got on the skyline or one of your personal goals, but I think, you know, coaches that decide to eventually open their own gym, they, they, they do it and then they realize, wow, like actually I'm, I'm not coaching anymore. I'm not doing what I started to enjoy. And now I'm just being a businessman running a gym, crunching numbers. I, I've seen that time and time again, and they actually end up either sort of passing over the gym to someone else um, or they, they don't do it anymore and they decide that they didn't like it. So I think, you know, the fact that you're staying true to what you enjoy and then 
creating an advantageous environment with like other people that are really really good at the video editing side of things and yeah. content production i think that's awesome i think that that's something that's gonna separate coaches eventually is is this just building a team you know building a team of individuals like you know team 3dmj stand out as natural bodybuilding coaches because yep. they've they've built such a, a diverse team of people that can deal with a huge range of clientele um so yeah that's that's awesome when it came to you know obviously you you will have you will have gathered bodybuilding clients at the start because one of your first clients was like a bodybuilding client which i think is quite quite individual in the sense that you know a lot of people as pts or online coaches will generally start with or at least pts will start with general population clients um Mm -hmm. and it's funny that you had your first online client as a competitor because that's actually the exact same as me my first ever online client was a competitor and i just i just threw myself in the deep end and i I felt like i'd immerse myself in the knowledge much like you had obviously you had one-to-one like lane talking to you and you had coaching but how did you sort of develop pro physique in a in a way that purely targeted physique athletes And, and do you still work with general population people what's your stance on sort of people inquiring that our general population and you know what what was your goal in terms of building pro physique as a company yeah so i think one of the most common misconceptions is that i only work with physique competitors ah, okay. and i think that's probably because the physique competitors tend to get the most dramatic transformations and they post about it the most yeah agreed much more of my business more than 50 percent is general population Yeah. So, however, they, like I said, they are not interested in posting pictures or they're mostly just people that go to work every day and are just tired of looking or feeling a certain way. And they see a physique competitor with a good six pack and they go, I want that. I don't want to get on stage. So literally the email will say, I don't want to compete. I just want to look like I do. Like I get that all the time. And so, yeah, I think that's a pretty big misconception. Um, I'm, I'm at the point now where I could, if I chose to work only with physique competitors, but very few people ever get to that point, I feel, because yeah. let's be honest, not many people compete. If you're talking about general population that purchase diet plans, we're talking probably a billion people. Yeah. If, you're talking, if you're talking people that compete in bodybuilding, I mean, you're probably, you know, if I had to guess, I would say less than 100,000 people worldwide, maybe 200,000, you know what I'm talking? And you're talking about coaches that specifically work only with competitors are a lot more prevalent. So. Yeah. I don't think my business would have grown nearly if I had tried to focus only on physique competitors um, because of that reason. So, yeah, I definitely – most of my business is definitely general population. And so my real only hang-up with working someone is are they going to be committed to the goal? Do they have a clear vision for what they want? That is my limiting factor. That is my – well, I can't work with you if you don't know what you want to do or you're not driven or, you know – and again, that's where the money comes into play. Mm-hmm. You know, early on, you'll know this. You'll be like, well, I should work with people for free to build my name and reputation. Yeah. You take on some free clients. They don't check in for three weeks. They're like, oh, yeah. So, you know, and that happened to me a lot early on because I was like, you know, let me, let me, let me help this person out. And, oh, yeah, we can do a monthly thing and make it cheap. And I found when I started only accepting clients that fit my parameters, your 12 weeks minimum, um, you know, this type of situation is the minimum that we're going to do together. Um, immediately my results improved because those people that are willing to put in the time and the money are going to put in the work. Yeah. I look back to when I hired Lane, I gave Lane money. He gave me a piece of paper. I did everything on that freaking piece of paper for six months, like no questions asked. And so I don't hold everyone to that standard, Sure. but I, I do hold them to a standard that they need to be ready to put in the work. And if I can talk you out of competing, you don't need to compete. If I can talk you out of skipping a meal because it's going to be better for your goals, then you don't need to be working with me. Right. So it literally needs to be like one of their top priorities to work. Um, but it, competing is, is, is not, not something that I consider a, a must. Yeah, sure. Are you finding the, the, just to sort of get clarification on on what you mean by general population and for the listeners to understand what a general population online client is are these people still pretty sort of serious about their training and nutrition and uh, how experienced are they because i think you know what a lot of people might 
or maybe might find difficult in the in the startup phases of online coaching is is trying to deal with an online client that's very in the like in the newbie stages of lifting where they don't actually know how to perform exercises and things like that or have you built infrastructure where you can literally deal with a newbie client um just explain sort of what those general population clients look like yeah i'd say most of my uh general population clients would be considered intermediate or advanced lifters yeah um the one thing i'll say about a newbie or a beginner they don't need a coach they're gonna get they're gonna get a response to training um, they're going to get a response to any kind of diet changes. They're going to see dramatic differences no matter what they do. So I would almost, if someone's like, oh, I've never lifted before, I'll be like, listen, you don't need periodization. You don't need to hit your macros. You just need to go in the gym, lift weights, eat calories. And in a year, then we can start talking about what you should be doing. So yeah, most of my clients I would consider intermediate to advanced. They've definitely gone through some training programs. They may have even worked with other coaches. They've sure. You know, they've read a few articles online. They've, sure. you know, tried a few different training programs out, maybe some pre-online ones, you know, yeah. Wendler's 531, some stuff like that. Yeah. And now they're looking for a little more direction, some answers, some questions they don't have to reach that next level. So that's 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 exactly how I would describe my gen pop. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes total sense. I think, I think, to be fair, for a newbie, you know, they'd better, they'd be better off just paying a PT to show them how to squat, how to deadlift, how to bench press, and actually how to do the exercises, rather than trying to figure out, oh, I don't know how to do this, but I've got this magical five three one program, and it's all periodized and undulated, and you it's know, all magic at the beginning. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, don't don't discount the value of YouTube. I mean, yeah, that's true. You can type in any exercise now on YouTube. And so something I do sometimes for clients is I'll actually like today's video that's coming out on my YouTube channel mm -hmm. is me explaining the whole process of setting up for a deadlift because, you know, I've, it's probably one of the most difficult lifts to uh, to correct. So I just went through the whole process. And so it's like you can definitely find the information as a, as a beginner. Like it's not like it was when I was 16 and, you know. I uh, had to look in a magazine and see guys doing, you know, the 12-week arm routine and the 12 -week. So there's a lot more uh, evidence-based information that's available on YouTube, on Facebook. Um, and it seems like it's probably a lot of noise now. It's probably not as easy to know who to listen to, but it's still there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the issue. There is quite a lot of rubbish still out there that people have to shift through. And unfortunately, some of the biggest channels carry crap that's just not doing any good whatsoever for people um and you know as you sh if you shift down there's some there's some channels that are huge that are growing that are putting out great information that actually feed into sort of other channels that are slightly that are still growing that are good yeah um and it's all about feeding off those i think in terms of your coaching process from the consultation the initial sign up all the way through to people having their coaching sheets and their protocols and their hands and, and the check-in process. How has that as a process evolved over time? If you were to look back at when you started coaching and yeah. saw your coaching sheets and saw how you did a consult and saw how you did check-ins, how has that evolved? And, and, and any advice for people that are sort of looking to build up that process and make it into something that's efficient and good for the client well so the fact that i've been doing this for so long i've kind of uh struggled to change to what's currently best practices right it's been something that i'm working on literally steven who works for me is over here right now working on a new excel spreadsheet for client check-ins sure. that has like a visual representation of data um but what i'll say is I definitely have gotten more detailed with what's on my question, my uh, update sheet as okay. far as what I want weekly. Yep. Probably the biggest change is the frequency with which I do FaceTime, phone calls. Um, I'm much more likely to do a three-minute phone call with a client now than ever before. I think early on I learned, I, I was taught or you know experienced that I should keep an arm's length with clients. I okay. should try to keep it to email only. Okay. I have since shifted. I really try to keep it as personal as possible. Um, yeah. and that was kind of through trial and error. There was a couple times where someone would say, Hey, you know, can I speak to you and ask you some questions? And I would go, Oh no, this is going to turn into like every day they're going to want to talk. And so I would really like, and what I found was I would, I would, I would be very nervous for the phone call and anxious. I'd get on the call with the client anxious. I'd be like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to do this. And I'd be like, 
regretting it. And then the phone call would happen. We'd get off the phone and I'd feel like excited and happy and like more, more involved in them. And they would be. And so I was like, okay, so it took a little while for it to hit me, but I felt better about my coaching, um, being involved in their lives. And yeah, so I've, I've taken the approach now where I'm trying to be more personal, um, and more involved. And so, yeah, I think now I see some coaches. So there's two things as a coach that you have time or clients early on, you have a lot of time, no clients. So I see some of my friends that are coaches that only have a few clients that are putting amazing effort because they have this time into these, these update systems. And it's not lost on me. Like I am always trying to get better. And so my goal is going to be, why is my wife crawling on the floor? What do you mean, babe? I'm going to this. My wife's trying to hand me something. Um, so what I'm trying to do is pay attention to what people like and don't like and, and adapt that, not be a dinosaur and be like, this is the way I do it. This is the way it should be done. No, I want to do it the best way possible. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly looking to evolve my business to best practices because, again, FaceTime nowadays, it's like texting. You know, yeah. a couple of years ago, it wasn't available like that, um, you know. And, and probably the most valuable tool, if anyone's listening and wants to be a coach, and you just mentioned that you do this, I have a private group for my clients. Yeah, I've been doing it for four or five years. I think there's four or 500 people in there. They're not even all clients anymore. They're former clients. They're past and current, yeah. They're, yeah, they're people that I've done camps with. They're you know people like Katie Ann uh, Rutherford, who, although I've helped coach her from here and there, is mostly just a friend, but she comes and does my camps every year. So she's in there. People like Ryan Doris, who I've never coached. So there's people in my group that are just fantastic um, people to bounce ideas off and ask questions of. And then you've got hundreds of clients that I've worked with over the last few years that have gone through reverse diets, contest prep. So it became a it's a resource now where people can feel like they can go on the Internet, ask questions and not feel like the whole world is looking at them. It's literally only people in my group. And so that bond, that group literally led to me doing a camp last year because all the people on the Facebook page were like, hey, we want to hang out. When can we do this? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if you want, I'll host a camp and we'll all just come to Tampa. So last year was the first Team Pro Physique camp. This year we're doing our second one in November, uh, October. And so, yeah, that would be my biggest thing is allow your clients to interact because it will help you understand how things are – how things are progressing and allow them another resource. So every time they have a question, you know, what's the best sugar-free gum? They don't have to email you. They Mm -hmm. can go into the group and discuss it and you can jump in when you can. There's literally like days that go by that I don't go in there and I'm like, look at all these conversations. It amazes me. Um, and then they forum, isn't it? It's exactly what it is. And without, doesn't cost you anything. Um, just time. So there's that time thing again, you have more time and you have less clients. So, um, it might seem silly at first if you have five clients to have a private group, but you know, when you have more time and less clients, you can do things in that group, like offer advice, post articles, post research, you know, now it's less me and it's more like I have a few people that are in that group to kind of drive the conversation and and move it forward. But yeah, that those two things constantly trying to evolve and then having like a means for people to communicate together has, um, like you said, turned this into more of a team. Less of a Paul's the coach and he's the dictator. No, it's more of a team now. Like we, whenever we go to expos or um, fitness events, we get together as a team and sit down and have a meal and, and hang out. And it's a, it's a bond that we um, that that makes like the coaching thing. It's one of those side effects that I didn't expect. Like when I met with Josh and his mom and they were so happy. This is another side effect. I didn't think about building a culture around this lifestyle, but it's yeah. definitely it's definitely one of the perks. Yeah, no, the thing the thing that I've realized as a coach as well, very relevant to this, is just trying to make it as personal as possible and yeah. trying to develop a relationship with every single person that I work with. And at the end of the day, you know, that that does, like you say, it takes more time because that, that may well involve a call now and again. It may well in call, like, involve like videos or, or doing that just extra bit for the client. But at the same time, like that probably makes the process one like more enjoyable because you actually get to know them and then two like the end of the day you're probably going to get better results with the client and you're probably going to have better client retention because you're going to be holding on to these people because you you're going to put in like lots of effort and they're going to enjoy the process they're not going to look elsewhere because you know you're you're a coach that they'll they'll feel like now i've had 
like clients with myself that generally feel upset when they have to tell me that they're they're potentially looking to stop whether it's financial yeah. reasons or something like they're upset yeah. because we've built, built, built a relationship together um so yeah i know i think that's i think that's really important and you touched you touched massively on the 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 point of like regarding time and efficiency and you know watching your videos it seems like you work really really hard and that you have a day that's you know packed you know you're doing a lot in the day and you're up very late at night up to sort of like you said before we got on the call you're up at 3 a.m last night working and finishing off videos so how how do you manage your time paul and and how do you sort of schedule your day and and how do you get like fit everything in how how do you schedule it's things? A, it's a good question and it's kind of the reason why i wanted to have chad come live with me because i started getting a lot of people saying i know you're busy but can we talk i know you're busy and I think there's a misconception between being busy yeah. and being too busy. So if I'm not busy, I add something in. That's what I've learned about myself. Okay. So what it comes down for me is time management. How do I manage my time? Um, and a big influence over the last you know year of my life has been watching uh, Gary Vaynerchuk videos and kind of seeing how he works. And he's kind of given me uh, the perspective of it's okay to work really hard. You don't have to make excuses. I think there's I think there's this stigma like, oh, you need to have a work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And while I think that's true, when I audited my time, my work-life balance was um, not that balanced. It was I watched TV. I, you know, I, I did a lot of things that didn't line up with what my goals were. Sure. Right. So it, it, although it seems like I'm really busy, I'm spending more time than ever with my family I'm spending more time than ever with my clients. I'm just not wasting time. Mm. So literally, if you look at my calendar right now, tomorrow I have class from noon to two. Okay. At 11.30, I have a client phone call on the way to class while I'm driving. Mm. At 2.30, when I get out of class, I have a client phone call on the drive to the gym. So I've learned to take my day and literally manipulate it so that I'm not wasting time driving in the car. That may sound silly, like, oh, he's driving in the car, that's not a waste of time, but it's time that I can optimize, right? Yeah. So. Um, I don't watch much television anymore. I love baseball. I love sports, but it's just not something, you know, I might watch a couple hours a week with my wife. That might be our time to wind down at the end of the day. Okay. But, you know, if I get an hour or two free, I'm going to go play with my son. I'm going to uh, do something to advance my business. I mean, you you know, you can ask anyone around me. That's That's basically my life right now is my coaching business. I want to be a better coach. The reason I'm going to school is to become a better coach. Um, the reason I've hired Chad is to become a better coach. I took away a responsibility that I had. So yeah, I think once you start doing and stop talking about and prioritize things, there's, there's the reason I go to bed at 3am and I don't always do that. And I'm not trying to say that you should do that is like, I spend time with my wife at the end of the day. I put my son to bed every night and then I go watch TV with her. We kind of relax and unwind. Then she goes to sleep. Now I have freedom. Mm -hmm. Everyone's asleep. My clients have all checked in. Now when I start working, I'm not getting a phone call, a text message, a reply to an email as frequently. My wife coming in, my son coming in. Um, there's there's less distractions. Yeah. So literally when I go to bed at late at night, I have to make myself go to bed because I'm getting so much done. I haven't made an Instagram post in three days. That's killing me. But it's like right now I just don't have, you know, I don't have the time to devote to putting an Instagram post out. Um, when I had more time, less clients, I was doing two Instagram posts a day. You know, um, if Chad wasn't here, I probably wouldn't be doing any YouTube videos right now or they'd be very, very rudimentary, just point and shoot and upload. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's all about looking at your schedule, looking what you do. And, you know, when I was in my 20s and early 30s, my priority was my friends and going out and being social. Mm -hmm. um, now I have a family. My priority is, you know, father, husband, coach. That's it. That's it. And then I'm fourth. I like to go to the gym every day. I schedule the gym. So, yeah, I mean, I have my own goals that I built within that. But th that's it. I think I think um, if I looked back and audited myself in my 20s and 30s and why I didn't get ahead in life quicker – you know, I, I I wouldn't change anything. I had my priorities where I wanted them at the time. It's just they've shifted. And it's amazing how much you can get done when you make your goals fit your priorities and your day fit your priorities. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I think, you know, people people tend to also, at the same time as lot of this time management thing, I think people put a lot of the pressure on themselves to feel like they're busy and 
you know to to feel like every point of the day is maximized but at the end of the day there's one like there's nothing wrong with that like you just said and like gary v makes a perfect example is that his day is just like non-stop but i think i think the people that like like the people that do that love it they love that sort of day and they feed off it and it's this whole like gary v talks about momentum as well it's like once you get those days once you like build up a few of those weeks where you're just consistently busy all across the day and your time management is on point you you get up this like really weird sense of momentum i i I know it when i have a few really good weeks where i put out a lot of content and i i just feel like the content's better because i'm not i'm not spending time wasting time just sitting at my laptop thinking about what post i'm going to do it just sort of rolls off like it just keeps rolling, yep. rolling i literally on my iphone i have a note and all i do is sometimes i'll be at the gym and i'll be thinking of something and i'll be like oh that'd be a good post YouTube video, yeah. i don't have the time to do it i'll make a note yeah do this video the other day we did a uh, yesterday's video was fast food fast diet food, yeah. because i was like I think we were eating out and I was like, this would be a good video. And I wrote it down and, you know, then and it came time to like, you know, Chad said, what are we doing in the video today? I said, let's do that fast. Food. You know, so you kind of bank ideas because like you said, you, your mind starts working in that direction. You start thinking of things that could be content, the things that will be helpful to other people, things that we take for granted because they're so routine in our lives, but are so foreign to other people are probably the best posts. The best posts I make are the ones that, uh, the thoughts that go on in my head, like during a contest prep or a fat loss phase or as a coach, um, those are the ones that relate to the most people. And then you're giving value and that's where, you know, people find a, a benefit and a reason to listen to what you're saying. Yeah, sure. I resonate massively on just speaking and Gary says it as well, like just just tell a story and tell your story. Those are the posts that people just really seem to interact with as opposed to sort of I think it's because they stand out because no one no one else is the same no one else is paul no one else is aj like we all have different opinions but if we write a post that's very generic and just yeah. shares like a research study or shares just like a generic opinion like oh like eating cars before you go to bed won't make you fat wow like everyone's posted that at least once yeah but if we put our own sort of it just our own thoughts out there that tends to get like a much greater engagement level and a greater reaction with with the people that you're trying to trying to reach at the end of the day like with the coaching product where you're checking in with your client you're speaking to them a lot you want someone that that likes you you know you want someone yeah. that, that like really like finds your stuff interesting and finds like looks up to you as a person as opposed to someone who just wants a product because you want to build a relationship like we said um in terms of like Gary V talks about this as well is is sort of playing to your strengths and identifying yes. where you're what what you're good at and how you're good at it. So with social media and the advancement of that and the benefits that that's provided towards your coaching, how have you over time realized where your strengths lie and where do you, do you think that you've figured it out yet? And do you think that, <laughs> you know, there's any process that, that people can go through in terms of figuring out where their strengths lie and, and what, what's your opinion on that at the moment? Yeah, I think uh, my strengths are my experience and the fact that I have involvement in both the anecdotal side, the application of going to the gym for 20 years, and then the uh, the approach where I am just associated with people of the highest level of education. Yeah. Um, you know, my association with Lane has, you know, being involved in the camps and the events that he's done over the last five years um, has just really put me in a place where I'm able to answer just about any question someone has. And if I can't answer it, I can tell you where to get the answer. And so it's taken me a while to figure out what my place is because, you know, I'm not Brett Contreras. I'm not going to talk about the specifics of glute contractions on a hip thrust versus a leg press. I'm not going to do that. But what I can do is talk about his research and how it might apply to what we're doing. And there's a lot of value in that. Um, And so, you know, people like Dr. Mike Zordos, who five, six years ago was studying daily undulating periodization and came and presented it at Lane's camp. And no one had ever heard of it. We were in the camp, sitting there watching it, going, wow. Well, me and Mike are friends. I've stayed in touch with him. I've, I know what research he's doing right now, what different models he's doing. So I, I just get the ability to kind of discuss topics um, that are pretty high level and get them across in a way that I can explain it like I'm talking to my mom or my dad. That's kind of where I see my strength is 
uh, a mediator of information and someone who can take research or evidence-based stuff and kind of apply it to um, people in a way that's going to benefit them, right? Because, you know, there's, there's, there are two different, very, very different things. You've got the, the, the person who doesn't want to listen to anything evidence-based, and then you've got the scientist person who is purely black and white. And then there's truth in the middle. And I think that's where I add value. Um, it took me a long time. You know, I would answer emails to clients and answer their questions, but it took me a while to like get the confidence to do it publicly, like do a YouTube video called periodization or do a YouTube video called how you should set up for the deadlift. Those putting yourself out there is um, it's intimidating because you're setting yourself up for negativity and backlash. And, um, you know, my buddy Lane gets plenty of that. And I was kind of um, worried something similar would happen to me, but we just have different personalities. I'm yeah. not confrontational. Lane loves a good challenge. He loves when someone challenges him. That's yeah. that jacks him up. He gets, you know, he gets excited for me. If someone, if someone challenges me, I'm not going to challenge them back. I'm going to say, well, okay, I can see how that might be true for you. Let's move on. You know? So it's just, it's allowed me to kind of, um, be comfortable putting out information. And my strength is, I think right now, like I said, just giving information that's valuable, um, to the person that, you know, while they're interested in an evidence-based approach, they're not going to go read studies and look up, you know, study design and understand how our things are work. Whereas I'm discussing those topics on a daily basis with the people that I'm around. Yeah, sure. I think that, I think that that's probably, you know, why you've, you've, you know, you've progressed so much as your environment and, you know, the people that you've managed to surround yourself in and, a lot of the time I'll get asked as to how to improve as a coach and how to gain more knowledge. And I think there's quite a sort of a fray of arguments between the power of anecdotal stuff. So the power of developing your coaching practices and just working with people versus the power of going, you know, knee deep in the studies and reading every research paper out there and, and, and that will make you a knowledgeable person potentially. So what's your balance between this? How, how far, how much weight do you put in the anecdotal stuff for coaching and building you as a coach versus the anecdotal in the trenches? Does this work with a client type thing? Um, what, which do you weigh more in and, or do you do both? Yeah, I do both, but I definitely probably weigh more heavily on my experiences and what's been successful for me sure. um, and kind of paying attention to trends. There's a value in having, you know, worked with over a thousand clients over the last five years is that there's a lot of data in my brain. Yeah. The response, you know, the, to things I've seen different, um, you know, protocols for fat loss when stubborn fat starts to, you know, make its way into the, the, the plan where, you know, are we doing things like a refeed, a double refeed, a diet break, things that um, you know, you just, you just start to get a feeling as a coach, you start to expect things, you start to see trends, you start to notice things. And so I'm always looking for new data, you know, a uh, year and a half ago, I spent a week with Eric Helms and we discussed some of the research that he had seen. And I started implementing stuff when I got back, I saw immediate responses, but it was like, I tried it with one client. I tried it with two, I tried it with three. Yeah. I saw the response was positive. Then I started getting same things happened this year. So I have a client named Lauren Dana Miller. Um, she's having a great season. And so I've seen some things happen with her through trial and error that I've implemented with my other competitors and right. seen similar results. So it's definitely like I'll take the evidence based research, kind of see what what what's interesting about it. And I'll start applying it to people um, and, and see how it goes. But I definitely value both. Mm. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just so much, you know, limitation on research that, you know, the old, well, what was the study done in? what was the population, you know, what was the age, gender training experience, you know, you know, when you're talking about research, you know, were the people actually doing the plan as written, you know, most research studies are not like in a lab all day. They're, you know, they're in the real world. They're just showing up for testing or something like this. So there's a lot of limitations with research. Um, I find that the blunt force of working with clients, you know, and then having Lane who's worked with lots of clients and then having, you know, other friends and being around people that have done lots of client work allows us to kind of collaborate and discuss, are you seeing this trend? Yeah, I've noticed that trend too. And that's, you know, I think for me, that's probably got a little more value right now. 
Um, but you know, I'm always open-minded. I don't, I don't consider anything I do to be the right way. I consider it to be the best possible way that I know of right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, literally the best way to handle it is, you know, have, have the research-based knowledge there and, and be involved in, in that side of things. But at the same time, have the, you know, the, the open, open mind to accept that sometimes there'll be people that totally defy what you thought would have worked and or do yeah. something you do something you're like wow like that's just that's worked in a way that i've never seen that sort of like to elicit that response that we didn't even think would happen so and then that's only that only comes over time and experience and obviously you've got bags and bags of experience so you can look back at data protocols at what worked with this client at what time and and how did that affect things and you know that that's only gonna see you moving forward so Paul, um, if I've come to the end of my questions, so I'd like to sort of, if there's a listening, like an aspiring coach that is listening to this, if there's sort of one, one kind of thing or, or one major topic that you'd like them to take home from this episode and to realize and to understand as they go into coaching and try to develop themselves, what would that be? And, and what would you, what would you tell your your 20 year old 21 year old self that was getting into coaching like if 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 what would you tell them and and how would you take that into their coaching environment yeah i really i i really wish that i could talk to myself in college because i i didn't really understand the the perspective of you know understanding exercise science like when i was going to college exercise science meant you wanted to be a pe teacher mm-hmm. like you wanted to get a degree, go back, work at your old high school and be the basketball coach. Or you know, like that was an exercise science degree. Sure. I didn't I didn't see this becoming what it is. Um, but I would have just said, like, hey, whatever, like because even back then I was literally buying the exercise magazines. Um, you know, I, I played baseball in college and I wasn't supposed to lift weights. So I would sneak into the gym after hours so no one could see me. Like I would just say, listen to your listen to yourself. Follow follow what you love to do. Don't don't do a business degree because you think it's what you should do. Right. Um, but for aspiring coaches, I think the most important thing, the most valuable thing that I did was got involved in what I was passionate in. I got in, I hired a coach, I competed immediately. A lot of people will go, Oh, I, I, you know, that's expensive. I hired a coach. But what, what I, what I didn't understand at that time, what I was doing is I was actually taking a master's degree level course in how to be a coach by working with Lane Norton. Yeah. Right. I was literally for 20 weeks that year, I was checking in with him, asking him questions, getting responses. And it was shaping the way I did things and changing my approach to things. And it forever changed my outlook on um, nutrition and training and cardio and science based and evidence and all this stuff. It was like it was like the beginning of that era where people started to question everything from fasted cardio to non fasted cardio to flexible dieting to clean eating like all those things now are in play back then you were an idiot if you did anything other than fasted cardio and and an idiot if you did anything other than eat the seven magic foods during contest prep Mm. um i was called a genetic anomaly because i won my novice class at six foot three 200 pounds and my coat the guy that helped me with my posing was like no one could do what you did now we know that's not true now we know it's just basically we have learned more like the the bros that were on the meal plans they weren't having success because of the meal plan they were having success because they were hitting macro goals whether or not they knew it right so i think if you want to do this if you have a goal get involved go to events i don't care if you go to a natural bodybuilding show with 20 people there talk to people yeah uh compete go to expos go to events don't don't be an online presence be a presence that happens to be online yeah yeah that's that's awesome i think that's a that's a really cool take home and it's bringing it back to how you started and like bringing it back to actually being like a person that's there that's real that's not just this online creature that you know i think that's why people think that online coaching is like a program it's not it's like you you're buying coaching it's totally different to a program yeah yeah you know, you're, you're not buying, you're not buying an ebook. <laughs> you're not buying. I wish, I wish I could say that, you know, back then uh, that was all well thought out and I'd planned this whole thing and that's exactly what I was doing. That was just what I knew. Like I, I didn't know it any other way. So I, you know, that now with the, the expansion of this online coaching business, I think there are people with good abs and a hundred thousand Instagram followers who are, you know, selling 12 week plans and, um, and, and maybe they're having success with it. 
Sure. And, and a lot of people will ask me, like, does that bother you? And I say no, because basically those people will be my clients in a year or two. <laughs> when, they, when you work with a bad coach, it leads to good coaches. Yeah. yeah. Many, many of my clients are from bad coaching teams, bad online coaches, bad, just bad experiences. Because once you start digging into the, to the process a little bit deeper, there's some names that tend to come up over and over. Yeah. 3D Muscle Journey, Cliff Wilson, hopefully myself. You know, the, you know, these people are putting in the work to be coaches. They're not, oh, I have a hundred thousand followers. I guess I should sell meal plans. Yeah. It's it's a it's a different mindset, and um, I, I guess both can be probably successful. But I sleep really good at night, and I wake up really excited, and I can't wait to get to work when we get off this phone call. And mm -hmm. you know, like, I I don't know that that other person feels that same way. I don't know that they're going to be happy with themselves in 10 years. I don't. Yeah, no way. No way. They, they can't, they can't possibly have any sort of happiness in what they're doing because they're not, they're not providing the value that we're doing. You know, they're not, they're not providing that and they're not getting the satisfaction of, of seeing visually perhaps what they're doing because it's just, all it is is potentially just a number coming into their bank account and that's completely different. That's not, that's, you know, that's not coaching and that's not, that's not making money in the most ethical way possible in my eyes. Anyway, Thank you, Paul. I'd like to say thank you very much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it. And it's been an awesome episode. I think that everyone will take home some, some cracking tips from this. Um, obviously, for the listener, I will leave all of sort of Paul's links to his website, um, which obviously has his coaching details on if you wish to contact Paul um, and also his YouTube channel which is uh, like I said a, a wealth of information that puts, puts out currently daily content and obviously his Instagram etc I'll, I'll, I'll link all of his socials below and uh, yeah guys thank you very much for listening I hope you enjoyed this one and uh, we will see you back for episode 40 cheers Paul all right have a good day thank you